And there's many of us that believe that in the actual real turnout as these counts and recounts are about to develop, we think we probably won some of these states to now putting in Biden's column. You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army. We are pleased to have with us today John McLaughlin. John is CEO and partner of McLaughlin and Associates, one of the leading polling organizations in the United States. John polled for then candidate Donald Trump in 2016 and President Trump in 2020. John, welcome to the Code Red podcast. And I want to begin by asking you, right before the presidential election, we are recording this actually on November 11th, which is Veterans Day. So I wish all our veterans a... uh, Happy celebratory day. And, um, and I wanna ask you, John, in the run-up to the presidential election, November 3rd, there were a series of polls that showed Joe Biden 16 and 17 points ahead. Uh, what, were these, in your opinion, honest mistakes or was there some other reason behind this idea that Biden had this election won hands down. Well, I never, I never thought. By the way, thank you for the opportunity to be here. Uh, it's 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 great. You did great work during the campaign, getting out the issues, people that are affected with security, and uh, um, those were important issues that I don't think would have been addressed otherwise. But going back to the the idea of the polls, the national polls. We had a running war with most of the media pollsters all year long where uh, um, they, they, they were underpolling Republicans and they were underpolling Trump voters. And it was quite documented because, I mean, at one point in, in early June, the president asked me to uh, uh, work up a memo based on the polling bias. And uh, uh, we, we were attacked. I mean, I, I even got attacked by Chris Cuomo in primetime. Uh, personally, because CNN had put out a poll that we were losing by 14 points in June. And what, what, when you went through the internals of the poll, it was only 25% Republicans. And the president gets over 95% uh, uh, support from uh, Republicans. And in fact, our post-election survey that we did on election day, he has a 95% job approval from Republicans. So, and, and nine out of 10 Republicans voted for him. So for every point you take down Republicans in a poll, you're taking Donald Trump down a point against his opponent. So this specific CNN poll that I'm referring to in the beginning of June had only 25% Republicans. And they, a lot of times they would poll only adults or registered voters. And the last two national elections, the media exit polls said in 2016, Republicans were 33% of the electorate and Democrats were 37. In the bad midterm election, where we lost the House, but Republicans were still 33% of the exit polls, and 37% uh, were Democrats. This CNN poll was 25%. It was followed by the Wall Street Journal that had us losing by double digits with 26%, 
And you and there were polls going on like this all year long. So we put out a memo that the president requested challenging them. And to which I got attacked by legal counsel from the CNN and I got attacked by Chris Cuomo in primetime. And um, they, in fact, CNN had the nerve to put out a poll with a similar kind of demographic scheme uh, right before the election saying we were losing by 12 points. And we knew we were in a close race. And we knew that everything that we were doing was trying to get the vote out for President Trump. And I think it was more deliberate and, and, and uh, uh, devious than, uh, than the media was letting on, because certainly they were they were Trump, anti-Trump, they were biased against the president. The post-election survey that I'm telling you about, 48% of all voters who vote on this election day thought the media was biased and unfair to President Trump. Only 36% thought it was fair and neutral, and another 16% thought it was fair and unbiased, unfair to, to, to uh, Joe Biden. But the media bias dominated the election all year long, and their polling was a tool of that bias. It, it showed the bias. They didn't want Donald Trump. They were trying to tell us that he couldn't win. And I'll tell you what was really scary about this. Because of the virus, they knew a lot of the governors were switching to mail-in ballots and early voting instead of election day voting. They knew that would favor the Democrats. So for the president, we were hanging out there on election day, knowing that we needed a good turnout and we needed a good early in-person turnout actually the week before the election. And uh, uh, the, the post-election poll that I shared with you, the president won six out of 10 voters who came on election day. He lost, uh, the early in-person, uh, the early mail-in vote uh, and in-person vote 58 to 40. So if people decided to stop voting on November 2nd, no more votes were gonna be cast on November 3rd, we would lose. Instead, our vote came out on election day because Donald Trump was, you know, after, the, after he got the coronavirus, he had a very successful debate. In fact, he was out, he's traveling the country, he's going to five, six cities a day 6 a.m. to midnight, across different time zones. He called me uh, uh, when he was, the last time he was in Las Vegas, uh, early in the morning for him, it was 6 a.m. in the morning in Las Vegas, 9 a.m. out here. He called me and he said, this, there's this poll that has us down 17 in Wisconsin. I said, yes, it's not true. And he says, how could they do this? And it was the Washington Post ABC. And I said, well, first of all, they're shorting Republicans again, because four years ago, Republicans 34% of the turnout in the 2016 exit polls, this poll's only 26. But he said, why would they do this? I said, they're hoping that on election day, if the lines are long, if it's snowing or raining, your voters won't wait online because they think you're gonna lose. And if they say you're down 17, and, and the Washington Post, ABC, has, they have PhDs taking these polls. They have you know, statistical scientists taking these polls. They know exactly what they're doing. I mean, they're, they're pro, they're anti-Trump. They were pro-Biden in their bias. They were trying to affect the turnout of Trump voters late in the campaign. So that, so that if we had a disappointing turnout, it would have been a blue wave. It would have been a Biden landslide. All those media predictions would have come true. But uh, fortunately, the Trump voters didn't believe it. And Donald Trump, to his credit, he was like a football coach hanging it on the locker room wall saying, see this poll? They say we're going to lose. You know, let's get out and show them. And uh, 
he was great in the rallies. I mean, he actually talked about the phony polls and, and uh, fake polls as a tool to get out Trump voters, which, uh, which fortunately for a lot of Republicans for Congress and Senate worked. And there's many of us that believe that in the actual real turnout as these counts and recounts are about to develop, we think we probably uh, won some of these states to now putting in Biden's column. In, in the run-up to the election and on election day, there was talk about Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats actually increasing their majority by five or six seats. Mm -hmm. That does not appear to be accurate. Would you say that there was, in fact, rather than a blue wave or red wave on election day? I certainly in the in the areas that President Trump won, there was actually a red wave that, that broke the blue wall or blue wave, whatever they were talking about. And it was much more polarized, the electorate, uh, than the media was saying. And we have, we have very good uh, members of Congress that we work for, like Lee Zeldin, uh, who had got a strong challenge with an opponent, Alan Spenham, and he won decisively, it appears. Madison Cawthorn, who's now the youngest member of Congress ever, and uh, he won in, in uh, North Carolina 11. And uh, other, other members of Congress that we work for did very well. And the reason they did well was because President Trump, I've always said, is a foundation. His base is rock solid. He gets 90% of the Republicans. He wins among key independent groups. And, and there was one point during the year when I was with the president, we were at a meeting in June uh, in his office, in the Oval Office. And I was saying, uh, this is unbelievable because we're in a close race and you've gone through a global pandemic, depression level points of unemployment, rioting and looting in, in most of the urban areas. And your voters are sticking with you you know, through thick and th thin, and they're enthusiastic about going out and voting for you again. To which he said to me, you left out impeachment. And uh, so, so I said, yeah, that too. And, uh, um, <laughs> but, the, but his base is so rock solid that in 2018, when he wasn't on the ballot, the Republicans lost the House because that foundation wasn't quite as high. This time with him on, with him on the ballot, and, you know, the big, big media railroading them, big tech censoring them, uh, et cetera. They were coming out. And uh, as they came out, Republicans that thought they were in a close race, whether it's Tom Tillis for U.S. Senate, whether it was, uh, um, whether it was uh, uh, you could say, Joni Ernst in Iowa, uh, he was delivering for these Republicans to get them reelected. And, uh, and they saw it both in the gains in the House and the fact that they're probably going to keep their Senate majority, that if Donald Trump wasn't there, you know, they wouldn't have had that kind of turnout on Election Day. You asked in your post-election poll questions trying to determine what issues Americans care most about. What issues did you find motivated Democratic voters as well as Republican voters. What, what motivated the Democrats was mainly a dislike. It wasn't so much the issues. It was mainly a dislike of President Trump. I mean, it was the uh, over 30% of the Democrats who voted or the, any voters who voted for Biden said they just disliked President Trump. 
And in fact, almost four in 10 told us that they were more likely to vote for Biden because they disliked Trump than they actually liked Biden. On the other hand, with, with President Trump, 85% of his voters were casting a positive vote for him rather than something that they disliked about Biden. And the number one answer that helped him was the economic recovery, as well as keeping America strong, et cetera. It was more issue-based. And uh, ironically, 61% of all voters thought they were better off today than they were four years ago, but fully 20% of all voters didn't vote for the president who had that feeling. They were voting for Biden because they, they just, you know, the media disliked the president, they disliked his character. Um, there was constant character assassination from beginning to end of the campaign where they were trying to make him the issue and they were trying to focus on coronavirus. The virus issue did help the Democrats the economic issues did help President Trump. Law and order, security absolutely helped President Trump. And voters were more likely to blame Democrats than Republicans uh, by a five to four majority for the rioting and looting in the city. So um, a lot of those issues helped us come back where if we were down or if the media was right in their perception, um, those security issues of uh, uh, going against the Democrats for defunding the police, going against the Democrats for the for allowing the rioting, the looting in the city, for cashless bail, et cetera. That helped us come back. And uh, uh, those voters who were concerned about the economy uh, were more likely to vote for the president as well. You have polled uh, Americans' attitudes towards capitalism and socialism. Uh, as you know, there is a group, especially within the Democratic Party, uh, they call themselves Democratic Socialists, and they are trying to promote and foist upon the American public a socialist type of an economy, and a lot of it is contained in something called Green New Deal. Uh, what are American attitudes towards these two diametrically opposed economic systems? Well, 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 first of all, the vast majority of Americans, frankly, and we phrase the question, do you favor free market capitalism versus big government socialism? Because we found out last year when we were testing the issue, uh, a lot of voters thought socialism was more fair, but they didn't understand it meant bigger government. And uh, um, so, so when you when you define it as free market capitalism versus big government and socialism, uh, three quarters of the voters prefer uh, free market capitalism, and uh, even the Biden voters prefer uh, like three to two. But within the Democrat Party, liberals and in the Democrat base, you have support for outright big government socialism. It doesn't exist among Republicans, doesn't exist among independents. It really helped the Republicans retain or pick up seats in the House and retain the Senate majority. Um, so there's going to be a battle inside the Democrat Party over these ideas because uh, in the national survey that we're referring to, that's on our website on mclaughlinonline.com, uh, Congresswoman uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who calls herself a socialist, for a congresswoman, she's known to virtually all Americans. Nine out of 10 Americans recognize the name. And she's disliked uh, four to three. And you can see along those lines, these voters that are tied to socialism are the ones that are more likely to like her. And the ones that oppose it are less likely to like her. 
And uh, even Nancy Pelosi is disliked for many other reasons as well. She's a big negative. Um, people don't like her as, as the leader of the Democrats, but uh, she was a liability. And, and from what I could see, I know from my own uh, candidates' campaigns and other Republican candidates that I saw, uh, she was, she was a, a wedge issue against Democratic incumbents and Democrats who were trying to beat Republicans. Uh, she represented a lot of these uh, liberal policies that she would just go along with it. But the most radical, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's known socialist, Bernie Sanders. I mean, but Joe Biden, I think in a lot of ways, was able to win the nomination precisely because they were petrified of having Bernie Sanders as the nominee. Because back in January, he was on his way to being the nominee. And all of a sudden, the Democrat establishment, uh, you know, gathered ranks around Joe Biden. Shortly after this year's November 3rd elections, Nancy Pelosi had a telephone conference call with members of her Democratic conference. And she got criticized by members of the Democratic Party who are members of Congress, um, who were very concerned about Democratic party going so far left that they will not be able to maintain middle of the road seats. I believe the congresswoman who took the lead in this criticism uh, represents Northern Virginia. What is America, is America still a middle of the road country um, that veers slightly left or slightly right? Or is America actually this split country that you have the far right fighting the far left? How, how does America ideologically um, set up these things? Well, I would, I, what's interesting about your question is, it goes back to that first fight that we had with the, uh, with the uh, media on the polls. I mean, because ironically, the media post-election polls right now say, say that the electorate that voted in this election with a record turnout of uh, estimates of 158 million was 36% Republican, 37 Democrat. They were on polls. So, you know, in this poll that we did, 35 Republican, 37 Democrat. But um, so partisan-wise, it's split where independents hold the balance ideologically wise, it tilts Republican and it's generational because four to 10 voters, about 38% describe themselves as conservative, an equal number describe themselves as moderates. And then you've got a, a roughly a quarter saying that they're uh, liberals. Now, the younger voters are more likely to describe themselves as liberals, which is a, a, a wake up call for conservatives, intellectual conservatives to realize generationally, we are losing the debate. And a lot of the conservatives that are older, actually they got their ideological underpinnings, calling themselves conservatives, when maybe Ronald Reagan or Bush was president. And now you've got a situation where the moderates are picking up and, and it's a right of center, center right kind of electorate. Um, but the, but the uh, conservative voters, it, they, they were the basis, gave very strong support to President Trump, uh, very strong support to the Republicans for Senate and Congress, precisely because they adhered to policies that 
you know, that their base really supports, whether it's on economics, whether it's tax cut, creating jobs, uh, you know, helping private businesses, um, being more pro-life. Pro-life and pro-choice are roughly split equally in the electorate. Uh, the idea of, uh, uh, you know, just general having less government regulations, having a strong national security. And that conference call you're speaking about with Nancy Pelosi, the reports I saw actually cited uh, Congressman Clyburn from South Carolina saying they should never have taken up the issue of defunding the police, that that was a really bad idea. And we saw it earlier in the year. You did a survey in June where, we, where six out of 10 Americans in our national survey opposed defunding the police and three quarters thought it was going to lead to an increase in crime. And guess what? They've seen it, all, they've seen it around the country that their, their assumptions were correct, that it was a bad idea and it is increasing in crime. And as you saw in New York, the, uh, the, the progressives in the, in the state Senate were, were aiming to get a supermajority among Democrats, uh, precisely built on a foundation of a caucus that introduced cashless bail to the country. That the idea that you could commit whatever crime you want and, and you would be released with a ticket instead of having to go to jail and post bail. And uh, uh, New York has had a massive crime wave. They've had uh, instances of, uh, uh, because the law says that they have to give information to uh, 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 defense attorneys and their clients about the witnesses. They get to go visit the scene of the crime, which could be uh, a rapist visiting somebody's home or an attacker visiting someone's home. I mean, in New York State, you've, you've seen that right now several of these cashless bail Democrats are just you know, about to lose their seats pending the uh, mail-in ballot uh, counts in New York, precisely because of this. And it's put to, it's put to, uh, uh, fortunately, it's put to rest any idea of a Democrat state Senate supermajority. And it's actually probably setting up a, a scenario in the midterms where the Republicans could regain control of even the New York state Senate. And that was an issue that the Democrats signed on. Remember the, the uh, uh, Sanders, uh, socialist manifesto that Biden signed on, it was in there. And there's in there, and there's different stimulus bills uh, that Nancy Pelosi was trying to get through uh, the House and negotiate with Republicans. They were going to get rid of, uh, uh, they were going to parole career criminals like uh, Son of Sam, mass murderers, serial killers, sex offenders. It's just, I don't know why they want to do this, but it's a really bad idea for the Democrats. And hopefully, uh, the voters, uh, um, you know, put some common sense into them in this election. <clears throat> Before the actual vote uh, for president and for these other local seats, there was a lot of talk that Donald Trump had actually created a new majority coalition for the Republican Party. Did that materialize? And if it did, what does the majority coalition look like? Uh, by the way, uh, um, it's clear because we asked, uh, not knowing what the outcome of this election would be, but we asked the question looking ahead to 24, 2024, you know, who would you want to vote for in the presidential primaries? And it's pretty clear that the Republicans are the party of Donald Trump because the leading two candidates were Trump's vice president, Mike Pence at 30% and Don Trump Jr. 
at 20%. Everybody else was in single digits, so they were undecided. The Democrats, on the other hand, it was Michelle Obama and at 25%, and Kamala Harris at 18%. Everybody else in single digits or undecided. So you've got these two coalitions. You've got the Obama coalition is still out there and still dominates the Democrats. And it still holds some, it still holds some, uh, uh, some moderates in it. And that's why Biden was able to hold off uh, Bernie Sanders and he was, became the anti-Trump candidate of the Democrat establishment. On the other hand, the, the Trump coalition is, is decidedly conservative, overwhelmingly supportive of him, supports very strong security issues, whether it's immigration or national defense or law and order in the cities. Um, it, it, uh, uh, it also is, uh, uh, it's more rural, but we were even with the Democrats in the suburbs and actually probably made some progress in urban areas because of this. Um, like you, you would know well the, the outer, bur outer boroughs of New York. There's pockets of, uh, there's pockets to the South Bronx where Hispanic voters were voting for Donald Trump. There is, he got 30% of the outer borough vote, which is higher in Queens and Brooklyn. Uh, Jewish voters. We did a survey for the Republican Jewish Coalition. He got more votes among Jewish voters than um, than recent nominees have gotten for years. He got 30% of the Jewish vote. He got 41% of the Jewish vote in Florida. Um, he got 32% of the Hispanic vote, which is four points more nationally than he got four years ago. He got uh, some media polls have him at 13%. We had him 18% with African Americans. So if you're a white liberal, white liberal Democrat, after Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Bush, and Obama, and Trump, and you're still a white liberal Democrat, we're not getting you. But on the other hand, are a minority voter who, who sees what the president has done uh, in terms of he favors school choice, he favors educational opportunities, he favors opportunity zones, He's created more jobs for minority workers, et cetera. He supported uh, historically black colleges. He did do criminal justice reform to get treatment to people who were in jail for uh, drug problems rather than stiff sentences. Um, but on the other hand, still keeping dangerous people in jail. Um, so uh, uh, he, all those things that he did, um, in spite of the fact that the Democrats constantly called him a racist or attacked him personally, attacked his character, um, you know, uh, he made gains among black voters, he made gains among Latino voters, and he made gains among uh, Jewish voters. So he was broadening the Republican coalition, because remember, um, where he looks, where he looks like he's tied, I mean, he's going to get more Republican votes, more votes for a Republican candidate than anyone's ever got before. The problem is the Democrats are still holding up the Obama coalition, which, which still has a lot of votes in it. But it's, it's, it's a very close national election and a record turnout. The congressional vote is dead even. And the Senate vote in the states that they had a Senate vote, the Republicans had more votes than the Democrats. So, uh, um, so when you look at all that, he's, ex he's building the Republican coalition against real extreme media bias. And by the way, one of the great, uh, uh, the Media Research Center piggybacked a couple questions on the survey. And we asked them if they were aware of the Hunter Biden uh, issues with Joe Biden's corruption and, and uh, uh, the money that came from China. And 27% uh, uh, of all voters said they were not aware. 
36% of Biden voters. And among those 36% of Biden voters, among the ones who were not aware, if they were aware, fully 4.6% said they would have changed their vote. They would have not voted for Biden for president or they would have gone to a third party candidate by and large. But it would have been enough that Trump would have won the election. And the crazy part is you had big tech censoring the New York Post for their media reports on this, a legitimate newspaper. You had Twitter, Facebook, censoring a legitimate newspaper, newspaper of their First Amendment rights just to help Joe Biden. And this poll actually has evidence that that censorship actually helped Biden get elected. So, uh, um, so when you look at the when you look at the Trump coalition, the Trump coalition is solid. It's it's really uh, trying to trying to overcome major you know media bias, major challenges from big tech, and at the same time making gains for Congress, Senate, and uh, I'll I'll wait for the counts and recounts to see what they say about the president uh, about his election. Uh, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, uh, challenged, frankly, all the states, as well as the media, when he said that on election day at 8.30 p.m., Florida, which is third largest state in the union, had all its votes counted, its paper ballots, its machine ballots, and he did not understand how votes can still be coming in after election day. Um, and for him, this elongating of the election process beyond election day actually opens up the, uh, the, the prospects of more manipulation of the vote uh, illegal activities, irregular activities. Do you agree with that? Um, you'd, you'd, you'd have to agree with it. I mean, experience-wise, I've been doing this for years. And, and uh, you know, anytime you don't have voter identification, you don't have signature verification, you d um, I mean, you literally, I mean, my family, we vote in New York, and they had primaries earlier this year. I have grown adult children who live other places who got ballots or absentee ballot applications. And it would have been very easy to fill them in, send them back and get ballots and send them in. So, um, and, and a lot of, a lot of conservatives are very concerned that this was always a strategy all along to enable fraud because there's 15 states don't have voter identification. You go internationally. I was on the phone with somebody from Canada earlier because I had worked for Prime Minister Stephen Harper before in Canada. It's only in-person voting, and you have to show up with voter ID. In, in Israel, in-person voting, you show up with voter ID. And, and, they're, they're, and they have paper ballots because they don't want to risk any, any you know, technological problems that, that could come from hacking, et cetera. So in the United States, what we've got is we have 15 states with no voter identification. You have Obama-appointed judges in North Carolina last February throwing it out voter identification. You have governors during the pandemic who had police powers like Governor Wolf in Pennsylvania saying that they don't need voter sig signature verification. And you have a Democrat lawyer like Mark Elias working with the Democrats around the country to change the laws so that you don't need postmarks on your absentee ballots, that you can accept them not just three days after the election, but nine days after the election. You want to allow ballot harvesting where there's no security, where campaign workers can pick up the ballots 
and decide which ones they're going to turn in, which ones they won't. Um, it's 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 really bad because the states that are undergoing the recounts now, uh, to Florida's credit, they were an international embarrassment in 2000. Governor Bush fixed their election laws to Jeb Bush's credit, that it's totally transparent. They have party registration. You know when somebody, and we've worked there for years. The Speaker of the House of Florida is our client, Jose Oliva, Bill Galvano, the state Senate leader. Uh, you know Governor DeSantis very well. He got rid of the incompetence in uh, Palm Beach County and in Broward, who were, you know, uh, upsetting the system there because there, there was a lack of confidence they could get it done. You have total transparency. You know when somebody votes, which is a good thing because then you can stop bothering them with mail and social media and calls, so you could let them let them enjoy their life once they vote and stop wasting money on them to get them to vote. And, and you know by, by party registration, Republican, Democrat, Independent, you know who's voting. You know when they vote. The voter themselves can look up their own vote to know that it's counted, that they know that they voted so that they're in there, um, so that nobody's played with their votes. And they get very efficient count. They're able to produce an election number. And the media here in the United States is so corrupt, they didn't report Florida. They didn't want to call it for the president, even though it was ahead by four percentage points and hundreds of thousands of votes. And instead, you know, just by the way, just recently, they finally declared North Carolina. And we're watching, you know, any little tick from Joe Biden, they were they were calling the uh, they were calling the states for him, even though some of these states may be in a recount. Arizona. And, uh, and, yeah. Yeah. And Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, yeah, yeah. it was just I mean, Philadelphia, for those of us who dealt with voter fraud in elections, how could you not have poll watchers in Philadelphia to watch that. I don't know. I mean, those of us in New York, you know, you know, people on election night in New York were sending out lawyers to impound the ballots yep. uh, so that nobody could play any games with the mail-in ballots. And uh, they're just they're just an invitation to fraud if there's no voter ID, no voter uh, signature verification, and there's no uh, bipartisan counting of the ballots where you're not watching them. So, uh, um, so I think uh, uh, I I think you know we'll see how this election turns out, but there has to be serious reforms made where people should follow Florida's example and fix their systems because what went on in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania should never happen again. And uh, the idea of uh, uh, you know unsolicited mail-in ballots is a really bad idea because. Uh, it, it, it shaking people's confidence in this election because that post-election survey that we had, 30% of all voters, uh, this was on a day before election, on election day, we did the survey before the polls closed. They thought that there was significant fraud already in the system. And because they'd seen stories, this story's out there about, you know, these mail-in ballots already this year where Patterson, New Jersey, people were being arrested. Uh, there was ballot harvesting. In North Carolina two years ago, they forced a Republican congressman out at a special election because ballot harvesting is illegal, although it's legal in California and Nevada, they changed the laws. I mean, so, and it's, and that, that uh, feeling of significant fraud was higher among Trump voters before election day and higher among Republicans and independents. Only 20% of the Democrats thought that there was a uh, significant fraud, but, uh, but, you know, it's 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 not good for the country to be able to for people to doubt that they're having an honest election. 
I agree. Um, if people who are interested in looking at the numbers that John gave us a sample of uh, can go to mclaughlinonline.com. There are a couple of polls up there. There's the post-election poll. There's also a September poll that was taken. Um, and uh, if you like numbers, these PowerPoint presentations will give you all the numbers you want. And uh, John, thank you for sharing your always interesting insights um, based upon facts. And um, I congratulate you on your victories this year and um, look forward to working with you in the future. Well, thanks for everything you do and for your supporters and voters because uh, they, with their concern for keeping America strong and safe and secure, uh, it's vital these days and it's gonna be even more important in the future. So uh, I, I, really enjoy, uh, uh, I really enjoy asking the questions and getting back the answers that you want, but maybe a lot of people in the media don't wanna see. So. <laughs> well, thank you very much, John. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, Alan. Thanks for listening to the Code Red Podcast. Be sure to click subscribe to stay up to date and be the first to hear about our future podcast. You can also find and subscribe to the Code Red Podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube.